Welcome to episode 13 of the Church Tech and Leadership Podcast. We are so glad that you decided to join us today. Um, our goal is to help you create quality experiences that help people engage with Jesus. Um, if you would, share, leave us a rating or review. That helps us out, uh, and hopefully that will help more people out as they are able to listen as well. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Esslinger, and I'm again joined by my good friends, Ian Springer and Will Scott. How's it going, guys? Fantastic. Stupendous. Good. And good. all day long. Nice. Uh, today's topic, we are talking about art versus science when it comes to production. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, what really matters is the audience experience. Um, does it look good? Does it sound good? Uh, but it, it's the details that really get us there. Um, so creating good experiences require uh, that we know what the end goal is. Um, and then... It, it make we have to make the thousands of tiny decisions required along the way that actually get us there. Um, so there's this balance between the two. You know, you have to know what your end goal is. You also have to know um, what the tech does uh, to be able to get there. And getting too focused on one or the other um, can get you out of balance. If you're too focused on the end goal, you may rush the details, um, which is going to mean it doesn't actually look the way you wanted it to and if you get too caught up in the details you can lose sight of the end goal and everybody goes wait what are we trying to do again so yeah um you know chris i think uh especially us being production guys it's real easy to get caught up in all of the like the cool bells and whistles like hey let's let's do this let's do this special thing let's do this environmental projection because it's super neat, but if it doesn't make sense in the context of what you're trying to do, then it's just production for the sake of production. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because we can is not a good reason yeah, or because it exactly. looks cool is also not a good reason. Yeah. It's, it's all about supporting the bigger picture. And man, I think you nailed it when you talk about it. it's the audience experience. What do we want people to, to feel when they're walking out? What do we want them to, to know that like, what do we want them to want for them to carry with them when they leave. Yeah. And I mean, you really got to think about that, not only when it comes down to creating the individual experience, but you also have to think about that um, big picture wise when it comes to like planning your budget, right? Like, like, okay, here's the whole list of things that I want to do this year. These things over here are things that I will notice, but other people may or may not notice. And then the stuff on the other side is stuff that will really affect the audience. And when you have to start cutting things out of your plan, as we all do, you really got to favor those things that the majority of people will notice. Um, That's part of helping keep trust, you know, with with people. So um, it's uh, it's interesting because I've seen a lot of guys that'll like that are primarily audio guys or video guys. And a lot of the spending gets redirected into pet projects sometimes in whatever their preferred area is. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think, um, well, it's, it's just, it's, it's easy to get focused on the new thing or the, um, I don't know, the, the, the shiny thing or like something that you've recently read or something that's impacted you and you want to chase it down cause it's like a new project, but it's only fresh to you. Whereas the average person coming in, um, they may not feel that way. You know, they may not notice. They're not going to be able to tell a difference. Yeah, yeah. 
and and like we said you know it's it's making those little decisions do matter um as part of the whole but getting fixated on one um means you're probably neglecting others that you need to be focused on so truth cool um yeah let's so let's break down the disciplines a little bit um on the science side um a couple things to keep in mind is that uh every piece that we work with the consoles the computers all those things are 100 percent engineering devices right they're they're totally science-based and it's up to us um as the user to come up with what do we need to do creatively with this input device um that helps control the technology so with that being said um will you want to speak to on the audio side um kind of what what some of the science pieces might be that really help us to achieve that end goal sure absolutely so the um with audio you have to understand what is happening at both ends of uh, the signal chain. So what is your, you know, what is your microphone? It's a transducer. It is taking, uh, like, like, uh, man, I get super nerdy on this. I'm going to try not to, <laughs> but I mean, you're it basically audio waves or, or sonic waves are being converted into electrical signals. What's happening in that process. That's a microphone. Okay. And different microphones do different things to how they interpret the audio signal. And then obviously then you get into the preamp and you get into impedance matching and you get into um, gain staging as it gets converted into digital and trying to line up everything in the console. Because if your gain, your preamp gain isn't right, then uh, none of your uh, processors, uh, the EQ, the compression, any of the stuff that's built into the console, none of that stuff's going to work right if your gain structure isn't right. Uh, and then obviously there's like you can use tools like trim to kind of adjust where the fader lands and making sure that fader resolution is good, but all of it, like you have to get it right all the way along the chain because if, if the microphone isn't working right, it doesn't matter what you do with the gain knob. If the gain knob isn't right, it doesn't matter what you do with the compressor or the EQ. And that, uh, if your PA system isn't balanced, then it doesn't matter what you do with EQ and compression. All of these things have to line up and work together uh, in a, especially in the, uh, in a context that d- it basically translates what you're, what you're trying to accomplish, accomplish. And you have to understand how all those things work so you can fix them and you can, uh, tweak them so that, you know, you're hitting the right levels, especially if you're using any kind of special compression. Uh, I know Chris and I, we like to talk audio pretty regularly and, uh, he was, he was, telling me about uh, some 1176 kind of stuff which is it's one of those boutique really kind of great sounding compression or compressors and uh, you know you have to hit the meter at the right place and you know if you get the knobs turned you know right was it I think you told me 18 and 30 yeah 18 33 and 7 yeah yeah and, and four. Uh, <laughs> on, on the, the yeah with four on the ratio yeah and that's, you know, when you line all those things up and your, um, your meter is hitting in the right place, then it's, it just sings like that, that compressor just sinks, but that's, that's not even going to work if you don't get the gain structure right down the line. What are we going to say, Chris? Right. You got to hit it right. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. You, those are the kind of settings, at least that I've always heard from studio guys that, man, this is where this thing really works the best, but then you still got to hit it at the right level so that it actually responds correctly. 
So, so for gain structure, um, Robert Scoville did a lab on this that was fantastic. But basically, um, the idea is that all of this equipment is designed to see line level signal. Um, and uh, the good old Yamaha LS9 manual um, <laughs> tells us that that's negative uh, 20 uh, dBFS or uh, decibels full scale. Um, so, so the trick is getting everything, including your mic preamp and all of that, as close to that point as you can. Um, and that's true for pretty much all the devices. You'll, you'll see that most meter, meters break at negative 20 or negative 18, depending on how they read. Um, and then there's some stuff about, you know, what, what's the peak speed? What's the meter speed? So is it picking up peak information or is it kind of a slower ballistic and it's picking up um, more average information? Um, so for me, I always try and get that gain structure kind of at an RMS level at, at around negative 20 dBFS and make sure to watch for peaks because, again, especially things with really heavy transients like drums are going to want to pop through. Yep. Um, you got to watch for that clipping. But as long as it's not clipping and that's kind of where you're at, um, at least in my experience, that's where the EQs and the compressors and all those kind of things, if you can maintain it at that negative 20 or analog zero going all the way through, that's where stuff really tends to perform very well. So back to that 1176, if you hit that thing um, at, at line level at, at minus 20, you know, going into it, that's where it actually does its job the best. That's where it sounds nice and musical, but still levels the way it's supposed to and all that kind of stuff. So um, get your game structure right. Get it right. And, and it is absolutely a, a science thing, um, you know. In the days of analog, there was a little bit of, you know, harmonics that you could get out of it by really pushing it. In the days of digital, um, when you, you got to work a little harder, when you go over the top, when you clip it, it's done. There's no more yeah. information, um, at that A to D converter. So you really want to, um, get that dialed in just right. Um, and if you're under, you're leaving, you know, audio bits on the table that you could use, you know, so you really want to make sure you're hitting, getting that gain structure just right. Um, and the nice part is when you do on the on the art side of it, everything just sings and sounds really nice. Yeah. So yeah. Well, and that, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Like that's that's a whole nother that's a whole nother topic that you can dig into with sample rate versus bit depth and how they affect each other. It's like, can you hear a you know 48k? Uh, can you hear 96k? Can you hear 192? You know what what all these numbers mean and how do they affect things? It's it, it's important like take the time, read a book, read a manual, learn about that stuff and see, okay, actually, uh, I can't hear a difference between 96 and 48. So does it really, does do you like, do you need to have the equipment that, that allows you to reproduce those, those frequencies? I yeah. Don't know. Yeah. Um, the news with some of those things is actually where you'll, where you will find that it changes things. Um, the, you know, the jury's still out per se as to whether or not you're going to sonically hear a difference. But, um, especially with late, with those things is latency. Um, mm -hmm. and how do, does 48 K versus 96 K, uh, bit rates work when it comes to timing? Um, you know, does one have more latency or less latency and so on and so forth, uh, with your rig and, and whether or not you're using external processing and all that kind of stuff. Um, so again, without getting too much further into the weeds here, uh, 
it, they're all things to consider, but at the end of the day, you want to look at, okay, what is the end result it's going to have on what I'm doing? And is that the result that we're looking for? Absolutely. Um, cool. Let's jump into uh, video. Um, so Ian, what, what are some thoughts on the video side as far as how uh, some of the more sciencey pieces? Well, sure. I mean, you know, a big thing is like you're setting uh, exposure, iris gain on your cameras, and you want to make sure that your face tones read about 70 IRE, and you want to make sure that your white balance is matching your stage lighting, or and that you know if your pastor is using like a teaching TV or something, that the white balance of that matches your stage lighting, which matches your cameras, so that all of your white points look the same and stuff's not looking blue or orange. Um, you want to make sure that your color matrix uh, is set up so that it gives you the kind of feel you're going you're you're going for, whether it's like a more cinematic, more dramatic um, kind of look or a more saturated kind of live style look. Um, but there's metering it, for all of that, right? To like say, okay, yeah, you've got it right now. Well, depending to, on what you want, like I mean, to an extent, like you know, there's there's you can have an interesting debate over what you want your color balance to be. Um, Chris, I know you and I kind of favor gelling your lighting rig to like quarter CTB, half CTB, to get it to more of a neutral um, white point. So that it's closer to what you get from from a TV and what cameras are liking to look at. Some well, and, people and LED fixtures are calibrated based on that as well. Right. Some people like still like to see the warmer, you know, thirty two hundred K, three thousand K that you get from a halogen lamp, and so you know you can. If you you can set up your equipment to give you that one or the other of those looks, and they're both still, you know, kind of technically correct. Not exposure. Um, if you're shooting raw or log or something like that, there's there's different schools of thought for exactly how to expose your scene to get the most detail out of the areas where you want it. Normally for live you want to set your exposure so that your face tones, which is where you want most of your detail to be at because that's where your viewers are looking, you want that set so that um, it's right around 70 IRE, which is where standard gamma curves are set up to get as much information encoded into the video as possible. But if you're shooting log, you're trying to capture more detail across a wider range of things. So you might need to set your exposure differently so that you're not overexposing really light areas of the scene. And I have experienced that personally, that um, if you are shooting either log or wide dynamic range or any of those kind of things, um, if you if you do try and set your exposure at 70 IRE, um, you're going to come back into editing and go, wow, uh, my skin tones are overexposed. Yeah, so, you know, there's, there's, and there's multiple different schools of thought for how to do that. And to a certain extent, I think it's important to understand what those different schools of thought are and when the right time 
to apply them is. There's a, there's a lot of people who will say, you need to go out and buy an expensive colorimeter and really precisely calibrate the color on all of your devices so that it matches perfectly. Um, and there's people that are getting really great results by not doing that at all. Um, I've, I've been recently working on a project that uses a pretty sizable LED wall. And they've had some interesting problems with um, tiles that came from different batches and they weren't calibrated real great at the factory and it's unbranded stuff so there's not the greatest support available for it. And so it's a lot of kind of like to go through and calibrate it, there's a lot of looking at it and visually seeing what, what looks the most correct and what doesn't when I put some kind of an image up here. Um, and so, uh, that, you know, that's all very well defined as to whether it's correct or not. Cause I can put an image up there and anybody can look at it and say, Hey, I can clearly see there's a chunk of tiles that don't look right, you know? And, um, it's, it's not really a creative decision. It's, you know, there's too much green or there's not enough green. Uh, so it's, it's significant. It's that kind of, uh, aspect is a lot subject to, is a lot less subject to debate than something like say, um, your exact white balance. Cause I can go in and say, I want to have a little bit more of a warmer look. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to shade my white balance a little bit warmer than what I would um, consider to be correct, just as kind of a creative decision. Yeah, you yeah. know, and those are all all really, you know, good things to to look at. Um, you know, especially on the on the white balance side. Um, you know, there is it, it's worth knowing what color temperatures are, um, so that you can make those creative decisions. Um, and it's worth understanding what the different color matrices in your cameras or uh, to a certain extent in, in your, your projectors or your video wall processor or, or your TVs or whatever you're using. Like when you look at a TV and you've got settings for dynamic and standard and cinema or sports, all of those things change the processing that's applied to the signal in a certain way. And they're all probably correct for a certain situation. Like most of the time, um, if you're doing IMAG, you want it's important to have your latency really low. And a lot of projectors will have a sports mode that's designed for low latency, but it doesn't provide as much processing. And so you might have to think, do I want the better dynamic range of using a dynamic mode or the decreased latency of using my sports or gaming mode, you know? Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's important, whatever you take, whatever setting the equipment's on, what comes out of the box may or may not be the right setting for what you're trying to do. So it's worth actually reading the manual and figuring yeah, out what those things are. <laughs> even, I mean, if you can, you know, before you buy the equipment, know if, if you go out and you buy, you know, let's say a, a camera, 
you know, um, before you go out and buy a camera, be think, you know, what are the features that this camera has that another one I'm looking at possibly doesn't, you know, some of the, the biggest features that you lack on some of the prosumer level cameras is the ability to tweak things like your color matrix or your knee or, um, you know, do individual color shading or color phasing. The question is, you know, are you going to have to mix and match this with other cameras or do these features even matter? Um, and I think it's important to at least understand what they are so you can make an educated decision about whether or not you care. Yeah, for sure. Um, we kind of uh, touched on, on the display side of video. Um, so what, what are some thoughts about reasons we might choose um, a projector versus an LED wall, for example? Yeah, um, the big thing is, has to do with what the lighting in your room is. So projectors rely on reflected light off of a surface. So the light's coming out of the projector. It's hitting a, a screen of some kind that's reflecting it back to your viewers. And so you inherently lose contrast in a display of that nature if you're in a situation where you've got really bright house lights or especially if you're on a um, stage where there's stage lighting that's being reflected up off the stage or off of people onto the screen. And so, you know, but obviously there's this, at least at the time of, of this recording, there's a pretty significant cost savings to going with a projector in most cases. Um, and the rules change a little bit for rear projection. Like rear projection handles um, having lights point, having light reflected into it slightly better. But there's also constraints with like how much space behind the screen you need for projector and some other stuff. Video walls don't suffer from a lot of these same issues. For the most part, I can take a video wall and fire it up with text or a picture and point stage lights into it all day long, and it's not going to change because it's not relying on the light reflecting off of something. It's emitting the light directly at uh, your audience. So Now, there is a thing about how bright you set it, too. Well, um, you don't want to, like, nuke people and melt their eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Well, <laughs> you know, that's that's an extreme, but even um, depending on how bright your stage lighting is, your projector could actually make your... or your, your LED wall could actually make your uh, stage lighting look bad if your LED wall is set really bright and your lights can't keep up with it. Yes, and especially if uh, your LED wall is set to a different color temperature than your lighting, because... You can have an, you know, a situation where you're almost using your LED wall as a lighting fixture at that point. So, white slides are bad. Oh, yeah. Man. So, um, well, and, and don't forget about wireless uh, interference. Some of those LEDs or LED fixtures, they're going to be spitting out all kinds of uh, RF that's going to mess with your in ears and your microphones. Oh, yeah, LED walls are notorious for those kind of issues, especially the, like, unbranded stuff that mm. I was talking about earlier. Um, 
it it can it can be a really it can be a really big challenge um, to to keep that stuff from uh, interfering. Like you don't you don't want every time you pop up a, a white slide or something, everybody's mic drops out. You know, oh man, <laughs> that would be a really bad. <laughs> That'd <night>. be hilarious. <laughs> uh, so you know, it's all of all of these things. Like you have to you have to at least consider when you're trying to design a system because what you don't want like you don't want to have your receiver for your wireless sitting right next to your led wall you know you want to if you can have it located far away and use some paddles to try and eliminate the interference that's potentially going to come from your led wall projectors don't really have uh, this problem. Um, if you're using a projector and you've got like a center screen at the back of your stage, you want to think about how you put your people on stage and how you focus your lighting so that your lighting isn't firing directly into uh, that screen. Yeah. Well, but, and I, and I think know, that, that if, le- if you have a stage with enough, enough depth where you can get away with that, a projector might be a perfect choice if you have a really narrow stage though it, you're going to be pretty limited with with what you can do with a projector and you might want to take a look at an led wall yeah for sure um yeah and, and what's funny is you know as we talk about video it's always seems to come back to lighting right like <laughs> usually <laughs> <laughs> like no lights is no no good when it comes to video <laughs> um especially on the capture side um but I think it's important too to talk about you know as we as we look at color um, in video to talk about you know the color of the lights um, and and really measuring uh, what the what your white point is with video and what your white point is with your uh, especially anything that would be like design lighting so not front lighting not back lighting even though those things definitely matter too um, and making sure that you know what the color is going to be, especially as you capture it on a camera. Um, if, if your white balance is set to, let's say a really warm, you know, 3,200 K, uh, and then you you bring up your LEDs, some of your color may or may not look right. Um, because on camera, be, because of the way you've balanced, um, your color temperatures, you know, um, it may, it may come out that your purples look blue. Um, now that could just be cheap camera because cameras don't do purples very well most of the time. Um, but uh, you know your color balance has a lot to do with how well that'll look. Uh, Ian already said you know t- talking about what the white balance of an LED wall would be as it cast light onto a subject versus what your front light and back light are set to. Uh, are those the same? Aren't they? Do you want them to be or not? Um, Again, all of these small decisions still, at the end of the day, come back to um, what do you want the end experience to be and making these small decisions about the technology to reach that point. Um, any Anything else on the science side, guys? No, I think that's, you know, that's just about it. Also, another thing to remember is that um, it's important to think about what uh, your backend infrastructure is like, for example, not all coax cable is the same. 
Um, a lot of I, I see a lot of people saying things like, "You can't use RG59 for video. You have to use RG6, or it has to be RG6 quad shield." Um, and that's that's not completely accurate. Um, most of the major cable manufacturers publish specifications for what type of signal their cable is rated for and how far it's rated to, that cable is rated to carry it. And while it's true that in general, RG6 cable can carry a video signal safely farther than an RG59 cable, um, or a Cat6 cable can carry uh, gigabit ethernet farther than a Cat5 or a Cat5e cable, um, it's, it's not universal that um, these types of cables can only be used for one thing or another. So it's not, it's, a, it, it's important to understand um, what it is that you're trying to do, how far your signal needs to go, and make a decision on your cable based on that, not based on what the size of, of the jacket is, because uh, different cables are engineered for different things. Yeah. It's good stuff. Um, cool. So let's kind of flip it over and look at, uh, the art side. Um, and we've kind of hinted at how some of these things apply, but you know, on the art side, the focus really is what is, what's the design we're going after? What's the emotion we're trying to create? Uh, what's the story we're trying to tell? And so again, just like, um, we looked at the details and the science, uh, on the art side, those are all the things that we really want to focus on. Um, in, in tying in those, those little science details, uh, to create what it is that we're trying to do. Um, so you need to know what the tools can do to know what's available to you as you're trying to create something or tell a certain story. So, um, you know, on the audio side, what it comes down to is we are, we're mixing music, uh, for most of us. Uh, yeah, there's a speaking element too, and that's often just a replication thing. Um, but mixing music, music is absolutely a creative thing. Um, and, uh, so at the end of the day, is it something that moves you, uh, on an emotional level? Is it something that, uh, you know, depending on what you're mixing, is it something that makes you want to get up and move a little bit? Um, does it, it sound like music? It should. It should. Yeah. It should make you want to move if people like, and that's, I mean, there's, there's a little bit of like of culture, like sometimes you have to teach your culture if your culture is the kind that just stands up and stands there and drinks their coffee. Um, but your music, it, it absolutely is about moving people and having impact. And, um, and one of the just simplest, easiest tools is knowing where in the music those moments are. And then you drive the faders to have that impact. So the big moments are really big and the low moments are super tight and intimate and, you know, it, and that's all about controlling balance of, it's all about controlling balance period forever and always that's what audio is balance but it's about balancing those things like reverbs if you want intimacy you want a drier sound if you want you know that that real big the very last chorus after the bridge you know as they're they're building during the bridge that big moment's going to be and you're going to push the master fader a little bit so that it feels bigger than anything else and but that may not be for every single song that might be just for the last song in the set before teaching 
because people have had a couple songs to kind of warm up and that's that's a whole discussion by itself too but it is about conveying emotion and feeling and you you got to feel it yeah yeah one uh one example i've i really like um when it comes to um building you using the audio tools to build throughout a song um uh hello by adele um the drum kit at the beginning of it has this low pass filter on it um that that keeps the drums really kind of feeling distant and kind of barely there like you can still feel the rhythm a little bit but you don't really hear it and then by the last chorus they open that filter all the way up and all of a sudden the drums are right there in your face and um, just makes the whole song grow throughout and all they're doing is adjusting a filter throughout the song it works for that song it may not work for every song probably won't um but it's things like that that are just such a cool like um example of where they're using the technology to really help drive the creativeness of the song Mm-hmm. tools in the toolbox you yeah. never know what the moment's going to call for but you got to know what the tools are understanding the science so that you can apply them in a way and right and and that's that's the thing that blows my mind like that's a studio album like that's Adele's studio album can you imagine what that would sound like live it would be so cool it would yeah. be awesome live like most of us are like live engineers we you know we mix on a sunday morning that's a whole lot easier than it is mixing in the studio so if you want to challenge yourself, try mixing some studio stuff that has the same emotion, the same impact, the same, just like Chris was talking about with the Adele album. Like that was that, like that's in a box. You can't control the volume levels or anything like that. That's just, yeah, here's, here it is. It's got to work on every platform. It's got to sound good on your, you know, your, your AirPods as well as your car stereo and, you know, and through a PA system. So good challenge. Yeah. For sure. I mean, and, and that kind of, you know, to me makes me want to make sure that my live mix um, has that kind of studio quality leveling so that it, it can translate. You know, for me, uh, in my context, I often choose to uh, do broadcast mixes based on the front of house mix. Um, so not have a totally separate thing going on. And so the focus at that point has to be, okay, my mix has to translate. So I actually have to dig into the details more than just pushing faders up and down, mm-hmm. you know? Um, well, and that's, that's a really good point. Like if you're, uh, if your PA is starting to go like, like ours is you're back and forth on the headphones because what you're hearing in the room isn't necessarily going to translate on the broadcast mix. So like, you know, I'll pop on the headphones and be like, oh, wow, those high frequencies are a little bit harsher than I thought they would be because the PA system isn't conveying them because the drivers are tired and we haven't been able to replace our PA system yet. So it's like, all right, the headphones are telling me the truth. And then you can make adjustments based on that. And that way, you know that you've created like that your mix is balanced, that those harshes aren't trans, they're, they're not going out to broadcast mix. You don't have to, you know, wait until you listen to the, the posted message to find out, oh, you know, the audio levels are really out of whack because of, you know, just do it, punch up your, your, you know, whatever your bus is that's sending to your recording and listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Another, uh, well, and while we're kind of on this, uh, the more creative artistic side is thinking about textures and, uh, how things like distortion can be a texture when used really, really subtly. Now I'm not saying like, Hey, go out and, 
you should have distortion on all your vocals or something like like that's crazy that no, no, no you, you need to hear the vocals but that's it's another paintbrush that you can paint with and it's about balancing it in and mixing it in it's like a spice when you're making food if you add too much of it it's going to overwhelm your dish but used very subtly it could like just blossom and bring everything together mm. so that is one thing i do recommend like if you're if you're an audio guy go watch some like uh, some of those netflix uh was it chef's table i think i love that stuff like they, they talk about food and all these different uh, elements of food and stuff and it is a great uh, analogy for what mixing is because you're doing the exact same thing only with sonic uh, elements yeah it'd be it'd be funny to have a conversation with uh either um you know talking about mixing in in food terms or vice versa <laughs> <laughs> you're real wild well, I put my snare drum through a blender last week, and it sounded like... <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, or you need to add a little more a little more salt to that vocal, yeah. you know? Yeah, really. Can I add some paprika, some cumin? It's going to be a Mexican, a Mexican <laughs> dish. <laughs> no, I, I, prefer, I prefer Cajun flavoring. Okay. <laughs> no. Anyway. <laughs> this, this that really went turn. off the rails quickly. This is, this is no longer a podcast about uh, technology and, and, and church. It's about it's a food podcast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I'm just hungry, so <laughs> it's not even lunchtime. What else is new? Anyway, uh, <laughs> so on the video side, um, you know, when it comes to the creative aspects, I think uh, the terms that I hear thrown around a lot is is story is king, um, and when you can focus on that. Uh, it becomes a lot less important, you know, what your resolution is per se or, or anything else, but are you able to use the tools effectively to tell whatever it is, you know, the story you're trying to tell. Um, now that could be, yeah, we're, we have a narrative we're trying to tell, or it could be, um, the service and looking at it as a whole unit of, okay, during worship, um, the story I'm trying to tell is is this energy level that's being created in the room, and I want to capture that well. So, what are the tools I need to use? What motion? What color? Um, all this, you know, rate of switch. What are the things I need to use to tell that story well? Same with, um, you know, same with with the message. Are we really conveying what that person's trying to communicate in an effective way, or are we just switching between twenty cameras because we can? You know, when really what's needed is it needs to be locked in on on the face of whoever it is speaking so that the person watching on a screen really feels like they're talking directly to them. You know, what's what's the story we're trying to tell um, on the lighting side? It's it's about enhancing what's currently happening in the room. Um, so during worship, there's a, you know, down moment. Nobody's really singing. It's in a it's a it's a reflective type thing. You know, maybe we don't need front light right there. Maybe just some some, some subtle backlight and and really choosing colors that help bring out whatever that emotion is. Um, colors have a emotions tied to them, um, and you can just Google you know colors and emotion, and it'll bring yeah. up you know what different ones do. Green is very calming usually. Um, Yellow red is dramatic. Is, Sorry, red? Yeah. red is very dramatic. Yeah, red is dramatic. It can make people angry even. Mm. Um, yellow, for some reason, makes people hungry. Um, that's why McDonald's <laughs> has the gold notches. <laughs> uh, back on food. Stop, stop talking about food, Chris. <laughs> anyway, um, 
Yeah, so just knowing what different colors represent, and and you can look at it from a church perspective. You can look at it from an emotional perspective. Um, There's kind of a whole bunch of different things to tie in there, but really being intentional with what colors you're using um, to enhance the emotional uh, environment of the room. Um, And the other piece of lighting is... Go go ahead, Will. Something I was just understanding, like, okay... We, we've talked so many times and I just we, we can't I don't think we can emphasize this enough is how much lighting impacts video like yeah you, you might have some really dramatic looks with lighting but if it doesn't translate on video you're you got to work with the video director to make sure that it translates on on screen yeah that's otherwise it's, your your video people will hate you yeah. they're trying to sit there and tell <laughs> their story and if you're like, yeah, I've got this really dramatic lighting scene, it's going to like make everybody in the room just immediately start bawling their eyes out. Your video director is bawling his eyes out too, but for a different reason because he can't see anyone. Well, and, and two, I mean, when it comes to, let's say, um, I know there's, I've been to several concerts where they like to do like blackouts between every song. Blackout on video is basically like turning your TV off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's nothing happening at that point. You, you got to have something for them to focus on. Right. Right. Um, so keeping that in mind, communicating back and forth and going, Hey, heads up. We're thinking about this dramatic element here. What do you think? How is this going to affect you? And yes, we're willing to adjust to make sure that everybody is able to create the best experience in their area. You know, it's not just about, well, the video guy going, well, you can't do that because I have to have even front light constantly. You know, that doesn't work either. You, there's a little give and take, but I often find that the best solutions come from having those discussions. Um, Sometimes they get heated and that's okay. Um, It's not about you. It's not about who you are. It's about what you're trying to create. And so uh, have those discussions because it really helps. Yeah. And well, something else, uh, digging into lighting stuff. I don't know how many people are familiar with the expression flashing, flashing trash. (laughs) <laughs> but I cannot stand lighting that is out of time with the music. Like, it is just painful. It is so painful to watch. I mean, can you, it's just, it's, it's just, it's like its own little thing. That's just kind of off in its own little world, just flashing away, like for no, no apparent reason. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like, please, please, please have purpose for your lighting. Like, if you're going to use any kind of lighting effects, you know, color, colors strobes or anything like that you know flashes whatever please sync it up take time to figure out what the bpm of the song is and have it have a purpose because it will make the moment better soapbox done well but that that's a great point i think for for every position is um, whether you're mixing whether you're doing video or lighting um if if you're working with music it's it's really a big deal to understand what goes into making music. Um, now I'm not saying you need to go out and learn an instrument, although I do think that would help. Um, but I am saying you need to, if you don't get a, get an understanding of music, um, at a deeper level, learn what rhythm is, work with a drummer. Um, hopefully they have some rhythm. Um, if not, why are they a drummer? But <laughs> oh <anyway>. boy. <laughs> um, but, but learn, learn some of those things about rhythm and, and key and, um, you know, chord quality and all those things that help create those emotions. Cause then, you know, as you hear them, you'll go, okay, cool. I know what I need to do here. Or it'll help you sync up lighting with the music, which if it's not synced up, you're not doing it right. You need oh, to man. fix it. Don't get me started um, again. It, it becomes a distraction at that point. Yeah. Um, 
Well, and digging into the music side, uh, if you when's the last time if you're an audio guy, when's the last time you sat down with your music director and just listen to music and talk about talk about what talk about the music, talk about what you're hearing, talk about what what you think the artist is trying to convey emotionally or what kind of story is is going on with within the song. And, you know, you both might you'll be able to share experiences and that's going to build a relationship like there's so many good things that could come from that that process. But it's about taking time and being open with it. And, and I'm going to say it, you got to be vulnerable. You got to, you know, share stories and connect. Otherwise that relationship and that trust may not exist. So, but that's just one example. Like there's you saying building a relationship will help you actually work better. No, no, I would never say like, that's no, that's, <laughs> of course, of course it's going to make you work better, but you got to take the time to do it. And sometimes we're so busy trying to do things that we miss uh, we miss these opportunities or we, we don't prioritize it. And I think working as a team uh, is going to give you a, a effectively working as a team is going to give you a better weekend experience than just being really good at your one thing. Like if yeah. you, you can be a, the best lighting guy in the world, but if you can't work with the video director and the audio director and the music director and the weekend experience director or whatever your structure is, it's not going to count for anything. Absolutely. I, I think when I was a tech director, and, and I've said this on the podcast before, that was the biggest mistake that I made was focusing too much on pieces of equipment, on tech, on being like we have all our automation, everything works perfectly, everything is great, but never collaborating with anybody else or looking at anything outside of just what uh, what was happening in tech. Um so I 100% agree with you. Well, that's it. It you know, I, th- I think it's have, a lesson. Well, I think it's a lesson we all kind of have to learn, especially because most tech guys are introverted. It's not necessarily an easy lesson we learn either. Yeah. But well, and even when you're busy, it's easy to just focus on the tasks at hand. And next thing you know, you haven't talked to anybody for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so it takes intentionality to go out and actually have a conversation or yeah. grab lunch. I think we've said that multiple times too, but it's, yeah. it's so important. Go grab lunch with people, yeah. um, with your musicians. And, you know? and like, we're saying these things because we've made these mistakes. Like guys, we're, we're don't, don't make our mistakes. Like I think all of us have, have made the mistake of being too focused on the technology and missing out on the opportunities that our team has. Like I'm still learning that lesson, you know, where I'm still making the same mistakes been doing this for years i think we're we're talking to ourselves almost at this point yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly so anyway cool anything else guys that's it for yeah. me yeah, I, li- I, I like that i like that uh that quote will um don't spend so much time looking at the technology that you miss out on opportunity that's gold right there Ooh. yeah yeah well cool well Thanks, hey man. um I know this has obviously helped us out some, but <laughs> uh, if this has helped you out, um, go ahead and share it with, with people you know that it may help as well. Um, leave us a rating or review. Um, you can always find more great content uh, on the website at chrisslinger.com. Um, there's show notes there. There's blog posts. Um, you can get in touch with us if you've got some specific things you'd like to talk about in your context. We'd be happy to talk to you about that. Um, if you've got topic requests or questions, there's the, I have a question button on the podcast page and that will do it for the day. Thanks guys. Bye.